Hello, and I got another little interview today here with Mr. Patrick from Scales. Uh, and uh, that's a big uh, YouTube. Patrick Ladonis, let me get you. Okay, so I've been, my computer's been crashing on me just at this moment. So it took a while for me to even get Zoom on and even uh, put Audacity on. Now I have to find Patrick again because he's hiding behind my uh, little tabs right here. Oh, Patrick, where'd you go? Oh my gosh. There you go. Pat there you go. There you go. Let me enlarge this sexy yes. man right here. Okay. Patrick, so from what I can tell, you started in uh, acting through a, a certain filmmaker, which I was surprised because when I tried looking up this said movie, I could not find your name. So either... Uh, I, I So IMDB is telling your uh, press individuals that they're full of crud uh, and the movie i'm talking about is a time to kill were you in that movie i was and actually uh, chase i it's i'm credited as patrick sutton in a time to kill because at the time i was a teenager and it wasn't until recently that i started um i dropped my last name and started using patrick ladonis for filmmaking purposes so i am credited as the militant teenager for time to kill as Patrick Sutton. So you, if you go back and do the IMDB, it's listed as Patrick Sutton. Okay. Cause I was looking for Patrick Ladonis and the IMDB is like, who, <laughs> which I mean, I, I would understand. Cause I mean, this is, uh, 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 what, what's his name? Uh, Oh, Joel Schumacher. So, I mean, I, I would Joel totally Schumacher. get if you don't want to be associated with that, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, how was even working that being your very first, thing uh, i mean as a teenager how was it working with joel schumacher out of all filmmakers i think for me it was it was exciting because of course at the time i was i think i had just turned 16 and i was actually in the i was getting my driver's license and i was in the dmv line when um and this is a fun fact that people can look up too but octavia spencer you're, you know, Xavier yeah, Spencer, yeah, yeah, on an yeah. Oscar. She she was a casting assistant on A Time to Kill, and she's the one that saw me and brought me to Joel Schumacher when the, because where they were casting the movie. So um, when I met him, he was very uh, very eccentric, and he was like, "We have this role for this militant teenager. You have this uh, great look, and we'd like to take some pictures." So. I took some pictures and literally I think the next day I got a call from Octavia. She was like, I'm from casting and we'd like for you to be a part of this movie. And it's your, your role plays a very pivotal, pivotal part in this film, um, which of course there's a, um, there's a big riot. And then of course um, my character is up on the roof and I lead all these chants. And then I throw this Molotov cocktail down and um, so Joel Schumacher, for me, as this 16-year-old trying to really discover and understand understand film, was extremely, he was extremely helpful because even on days that I didn't have to shoot or even on weekends, they allowed me to come on set and I got to watch the magic happen. I got to find out what a grip is and what these um, second and first ADs do, the line of producers. So I sort of got like a crash course in filmmaking as a result of that experience. 
Okay, that that's really cool. I mean, the only thing is, I only know Joel Schumacher from Batman, Robin, and Flatline. So, <laughs> so I I when yeah. I, I was like, you you started from Sh Joel Schumacher, and then I was like, all right, well, uh, but that's interesting. So uh, you changed was. Was there any like reason that you felt like you know and I prefer to be called uh, Patrick Ladonis instead of uh, the other last name? Well, because well, Ladonis is actually my middle name, yeah. and it's just that for me, having created Scales back in twenty seventeen, I sort of wanted to have like this creative rebirth as as a sort, and so in doing so, I said, you know what, I think what I'll do is I'll actually. You know, now that I'm an adult versus when I was a young high school person, I decided that I would adopt Patrick Ladonis and use that on my platforms creatively going forward. So it was many years later that I decided to do that. Okay, I mean, eventually, I mean, everybody has their preference on what they want to be named. So, I mean, that, that happens a lot. Is there anything you did, like, between this and then scales? Like, is there anything that you worked on? Uh, you know, through all those years. Yeah. So after after the time to kill stuff, I went to college, and it was a lot of very I would say independent projects. Because while in college, I was the um, I was a little filmmaker. Even back then, I would I would make a lot of short, what we called back then guerrilla filmmaking, which I think they still use that term now. But I shot a lot of uh, horror genre short campus college slasher movies and then i had the opportunity to um the, the rights and reason theater in providence rhode island when i was a student at brown for uh, this exchange program i got a chance to be a lead in a play and that ran for a couple of i think for a week so at the time i of course nothing as big as the time to kill a whole blockbuster movie but i still kind of stuck to doing independent projects and writing, which was definitely my, I think my biggest passion it was in the right is the, is the writing. And so I created smaller projects like that, but it really wasn't until, like I say, three years ago that I got the urge and the desire to want to get back into creating content for this to happen. So uh, did you write any books in between that? Like, did you try, or was it just, you know, writing scripts? for, you know, independent shorts you did, or you, you would do? Yeah, it was just, it was just scripts. All, all, all I've done so far is do a lot of short form, short form digital series scripts. I am working on my first feature, uh, which is a little, it was exciting, nerve wracking. I don't know, Chase, do you, if you, if you write, you know, screenplays have to be about yeah. 80, 90 pages. So that to me is the, um, is, is a little bit challenging it's exciting but it's also like i feel like i'm writing a huge thesis or something so i'm in the first act of that um screenplay right now have you ever been in or entered any of these stuff into film festivals for example i mean they have the 24-hour film race and all these little independent film challenges where you make a short based on this subject or whatever and sometimes under a time limit is that something that, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, Chase, what got me really 
really inspired again about wanting to jump back into this creative space. I think it was in 2017, I entered the AT&T 48 hour film challenge where you pretty much you have, um, you have, they gave you a weekend, 48 hours to write a script and shoot it. And so I signed up, met five other strangers who didn't have partners. We wrote the script. I think I, I, I wrote most of the script. AT&T actually provided us with the, with their, some kind of new cell phone they had at the time. And we had to shoot, shoot it with their product. And coincidentally, the name of the project was called Alternative Facts. And we ended up winning. We, we placed, I think we came in third place and we, we each won like $250 Amazon gift certificate or something like that. And I won a Mac not a Mac, but a tablet, an AT&T tablet. So that was my first 48, that was my first competition. And I've since started to enter some of my other scripts now into competitions that are still pending in a few right now. Okay. So I, I guess that would lead us to skills, which is probably your most known project. You said that, uh, or at least uh, in, when I uh, read the press email uh, they talked about how uh, the show reached over a thousand subscribers and each of the episodes they reached in the thousands from what i know about youtube statistics and monetization that's not enough to make this a full-time job uh is that correct or yeah. No, that's that's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent correct. Yeah. Uh, for you know, for YouTube, which I'm glad that for for me, season one of Scales was really a sort of like a test for me to see if I still had that creative thing in me to be able to tell a story and be able to drive the story as I as I did because of course with Scales. I you know wrote it, started in it, executive produced, financed it, all that good stuff. And what I wanted to do was really learn how YouTube really works in terms of not just the monetization, but the algorithms, who's watching, the feedback that people would give, and just looking at the statistics, who's watching where, what's the demographics, to help me kind of learn how to do the right strategy to push this thing even Okay. Further, yeah. which has been a great, I think, a great lesson for me. I mean, that is a, a great thing to, you know, uh, learn and, uh, you know, kind of grow from it. What is the, and, and then if that isn't it, like, what is pretty much your full-time job? Or, you know, what's allowing you to even have the uh, budget to do any of this? Yeah, um, well... Of course, after making a time to kill again, I was 16 years old. After that, I went to college, um, completed. I have a bachelor's in English, and then I have my um, MBA, master's in business, and I also have my doctorate in business. So I've worked across in the HR leadership space for 18 years, and I've also taught part time at Gwinnett College in Atlanta, Georgia. So I do have my sort of like I live sort of this dual life nine to five corporate guy then after five i get in my um creative hat with my my jeans and t-shirt and my slate board and my pens and start to do the whole creative thing and again what i've been able to do having worked in the corporate world and understanding business 
before I could ask someone to invest in what I could develop, I had to fully invest in scales myself, which that's what I did with season one. And after that, and it proved to be, I would say pretty successful after having a premiere, we had 300 plus people come to the premiere and then asking people to contribute to season two, which they did. And I didn't have to come out of pocket for season two or season three, which we are starting to work on now. So I think that to me, I look at that as a form of success because it's an indie project and you know, I didn't have to, after you, you show them what you can do and then I feel like the money will come and then people did invest and we were able to shoot the other seasons and the upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, that's really uh, awesome, especially with a thousand uh, views. That's that's usually still, I mean, that's getting attention, that's getting a, a audience, but compared to YouTube, you have to be like you know, 100,000 or 200,000, so. Uh, the fact that you're able to make season two and three without having to use, you know, and have it be solely out of your budget. I assume it was crowdfunded or something, or uh, what? Or was that the uh, correct? It, it, it was a mixture of crowdfunding and just from people that came to the premiere to uh, that wanted to see more of the content developed. And, you know, when you talk about with the view, viewership for scales uh, right now, our total, the total viewership for scales is 96,700 and something views. So we're about 3,000 something short views of reaching that 100,000 mark. And we also have over 1,100 subscribers as of today. I think we have maybe 1,151, 52 subscribers and so um i look at that as a, a testament of you know for me personally i when i shot when we did season one chase i literally thought okay we may get a hundred views max we may get like then i said well maybe we'll get a thousand give or take and the fact that you know two years later because our the anniversary of scales was on um i think it was monday june 11th to know that we are now two years later about to hit a hundred thousand viewer viewership or whatnot is still is still very overwhelming overwhelming humbling and impressive for me because again that's not what i struck you know i the goal for me was let me get a thousand views if i get a thousand views i'm great now i'm like let me get a hundred thousand views and i feel like we'll hit that hundred thousand mark give or take by the middle of july i think we'll get a hundred thousand views you know that is awesome i could definitely see why i mean uh i looked at the show and uh from what i can tell it's uh, i mean you got a mostly a black cast which uh, i mean you know diversity is great and especially now people are going are actively going on social media and they're looking for black creatives there was actually a statistical chart saying that support for black lives matter support for uh black uh entrepreneurs black creatives and filmmakers it's gone way up which is really awesome so i assume you probably have gotten a spike of viewership uh i mean as of recently which i mean not ideally the to get that out of something bad but i i mean just the fact that people are supporting uh, each other is great because that is something that i've been wanting to see for a long time uh, i mean I, I wish it didn't have to come to this point of of why but the fact that people are coming together still uh, would you say that 
things or people have gone more well or let me back up so this show uh if you would like to you know uh, since you're the one who wrote it and directed it would you like to kind of give a synopsis of uh what the show is about sure um i would say and scales is the logline for scales is it's a series focused on remy howard who is drawn to complicated people and relationships. And it's about people who sometimes go searching for love when they're not in a place to actually sustain it. It's a, everyone on this, every, everything that happens within the series is a, they're trying to balance something. And it, everything that people are balancing is all centered around this one guy, Remy Howard. That I act, you know, that I play, and just how he manages to juggle his friendships and all of his relationships. So, what I really do like about this show is that it's allowing to mask. Uh, I mean, it's. I'm not trying to like make this a huge deal or anything, but I mean, something I noticed quite early on is that uh, it explores same-sex relationships with uh, black people and I think that is really awesome that you're kind of looking out for bo- both of those communities right there uh, I mean you're yourself you know playing that sort of role who uh, has a love just a, another man and they the show just kind of carries on it doesn't try to stop and you know, say, oh my gosh, my uh, love interest is another guy. You know, you, you focused on just the, the, you know, the situations you're going with as playing as Ray Howard. Uh, and I thought that was really wonderful what you did with that. Uh, was, was that an intention to just kind of, you know, disguise the fact that it is a multicultural cast with also exploring same-sex relationships? Yeah, uh, and Chase, I think you hit it right. That's you. That's slam dunk. That's that's a hundred percent it. I wanted to showcase a story that, of course, is highly representative of not just me as a as a black man or black people, but a multicultural cast, and to show people that regardless of your sexual orientation or whatever, these are just people like. I've had people tell me, you know, cis heterosexual men and women say, oh gosh, I I used to be like Remy, or I know a David, or I know a Gavin, and it's all these things, which for me as a creative, I wanted to just show people that we're all, we're all, there's nothing, there's no big difference. And I think too, one of the things too, Chase, that I love about the platform of what I'm doing with skills is that some of the actors, a lot of the actors that audition and that are actually a part of skills, they, you know, if you have to say what's your, if you have to ask what's your sexual orientation, some of the actors are actually heterosexuals and they, when they saw the script, it wasn't about, oh, I'm in this relationship with this guy or I'm in this relationship with this person. It was, I like that it's, everything is complicated but it's not complicated if that makes it's like it's a a oxymoron it's complicated but it's not complicated because we're not it doesn't matter that Remy happens to be gay 
it's he's super he's oh he's extremely flawed and he has a yet real he doesn't really realize how flawed he is but it's just a show that's exploring the richness and diversity without really focusing so much on labels where we sort of i try to intentionally not focus so much on the labeling of these people versus the actions that, that they actually take yeah and i noticed that the beginning of the show or at least parts of it i only saw like episodes one two three i haven't gotten a chance to see the full of season one and then season two but uh, i did notice that uh, i guess through the story it's being displayed through also somewhat of a fourth wall breaking like you uh your character would stop to tell the person hey i'm ray, ray howard and this is what i do and okay that's that person I, I've seen a movie recently, I think it was called uh, uh, or, uh, Fer- Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it kind of had that same sort, it sort of uh, you know, narrative progression of a character kind of looking at the camera and telling the audience, okay, this is what's going to happen. Did you have any uh, influence of certain shows, movies, or what have you through making this? Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought up Ferris Bueller because Ferris Bueller Days Off is one of my favorite movies, and that was one of the things. Because first of all, I didn't direct season one at all, but when we were shooting it, when we were well table reads and whatnot, I had mentioned to to the director, I was like, I've written these voiceovers because I want to break the fourth wall. I want Remy to kind of talk to people about what's happening similar to Ferris Bueller because I was like I love that movie with Matthew Broderick and so that sort of became a running theme but then I said what I also want to do by breaking the fourth wall is we'll let that be a sign of Remy's um sort of insecurities meaning he'll break the fourth he he breaks the fourth wall a lot in season one and then season two it seems like things are okay but then some things will happen and you'll see him digress and because of that digression you see the fourth wall comes back up which he's talking to the audience about what's going on so um that's exactly where that inspiration came from now by the filmmaking uh, because i mean i'm only going by the first uh, couple of episodes it seems like you got and a couple of houses you rented out and now i mean i'm sure there are there are houses i've uh you know people who are part of the cast or did you for all the, the spaces that you filmed did you have to like tell but uh, people hey we're filming here don't come don't walk this way or that way or is it just hey you want want to come over to my house and we can shoot this scene or whatever you like what was the budget or how you uh, you know did the filmmaking for uh, the budget that you had with season one uh, versus season two? Well, season one was very much a grassroots, um, it was a grassroots slash passion project. So it was me talking to some of my close friends and some, actually one of my best friends to say, hey, I'm shooting this project. You know I'm passionate about it. Is it okay if we use your, your space? And because this was something... It wasn't like I just woke up one day and said, oh, I want to do this. People that kind of know me, Chase, at least that have known me for 20 plus years, they kind of always knew that the films, the film thing was kind of always in me. And so season one, it was kind of like this labor of love. Everyone that contributed was just totally open for it. I will say that I think one of the things, too, that I'm still sometimes 
I'm still stunned by is that we shot season one that's like 60 plus pages, uh, 60 plus pages in two weekends. We shot two weekends back to back to get all of that. And we have this, we're going to eventually release like a um, behind the scenes footage from that season one because we were all of us working on scale season one. We were, everyone was a stranger. No one knew each other and then by the end of those two weekends and of course the table reads rehearsals before we became like this tribe of of sort of family and now i mean i can't imagine not being able to talk to the people behind the scenes my dp or my film editor or the director or even some of the other castmates and i just to me that's community coming together and we we now are like family yeah, I mean, that's really great that you built yourself, you know, just kind of people who are friends with each other. Hopefully that stays, and there isn't a point where you guys get into an argument and all that. So, but, I mean, it's... <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, great that you kind of built those relationships up to eventually season two and three, which, uh... So, I mean, I, mean, I can't really say much about season two because I haven't uh, seen it yet, but with even filming another season because then you have to uh, keep in mind the pandemic and that's probably throwing you off a bit i bet with filming especially since this is completely live action well uh, this well um i can say this now because tomorrow everything will be dropping initially it was it was it was a huge obstacle for me and then I was like, well, what do I do? And then so the cast and crew were reaching out to me and because literally we started table, we started the table reads for season three, the first weekend in March, which was a week before they shut everything down. And everyone was excited. We'd had pizza and wine and we were having a great time. Everyone was looking forward to season three. And then of course the pandemic happened. That shut every that shut us down completely. Well then in April we were still in this pandemic and people were like, God, are we gonna get back to shooting? I was like, Well, let's just wait it out a little bit more. So then in May, May got here and there was a lot more information about COVID. Again, my background is kind of HR, leadership, training, development. I went on to the CDC website, saw the information, and I started putting together like my own COVID-19 film resource guide type of thing. And so I had a meeting with the, with the crew, and I said, so this is what we can do, or let's, let's, let's try it to see if it'll work. Season two, uh, well, season one, we had about six crew members. Season two, we went to 18 crew members because a lot more people wanted to be a part of it. And so I said, for season three, we need to go back to the basics, meaning let's cut the crew size back down to maybe six or seven. We had about a two hour conference call. I showed them the do's and don'ts, talked to the cast members, and I set a date for May 30th, which was probably like three weeks ago. And I said, what we'll do is we'll change some of the locations. We'll make some, we'll do a lot more outside scenes. So that way you're fresh air, because some things can be fresh air. We'll just capture the beauty of Atlanta. And it, you know, having a smaller crew, everyone showed up. We reported on set at like 5 a.m. And we knocked it out, you know, 12 hours. We knocked out a good chunk of, I think we shot about seven or eight scenes. And so, 
we've already, so we've already started filming season three and on tomorrow I'm actually dropping the first official um, sort of like the first trailer for season three for people to look at and we're going to pick back up uh, filming next month which I think we're going to keep the same size of a small crew do the same precautions meaning we would uh, everyone sign sort of like a COVID-19 um, safety checklist meaning when you show up on set you get your temperature checked you also get your temperature checked at lunch and you get your temperature checked at the end of the day. Um, you practice social distancing during lunch. All of the crew members had to wear masks. Some of them had gloves on while handling equipment and everyone has to wipe equipment down. And it really went extremely smooth, um, Chase. It was perfect. And I've seen the footage and I'm really excited to drop the, the trailer for people to see on tomorrow. And we've been, we'll still be able to premiere season three this fall, which I'm very excited about. That was probably the most, at least the one that I had the most curious thing about, or curious questions about regarding movies or going back to production while COVID-19 is still here. Because that's the thing is there are plenty of people out there. They're like, oh, wait, things are opening up. Then the virus is gone. Let's go out and party. And that... <laughs> It's, it's, and that, that's where I, I'm kind of in concern because he, over here in Texas, we have the highest cases, uh, as, you know, ever. And and the thing, everything hasn't even fully opened yet, or at least they're, we're at 75, we're not 100%. But still, I mean, it made me think, okay, well, how how is filming all this going to work out when you know in, in at least in live action movies and animation you can get away with it by working at home but in live action you're gonna have people who might be closer to each other unless if the movie or whatever it, or around it can work around by i don't know having people have zoom calls i i don't know how this would work but i mean it's great that you kind of already plan ahead and you came up with a plan hopefully that'll work because we learn new things about this virus every day what it can and can't do uh, i mean one recently thing uh, is is that apparently you can spread around regardless if you have symptoms so right that i mean that's going that i would assume that will be a big challenge for you guys to even film the rest of it uh i mean yeah what are you saying? Yeah, well, and we also have people, um, like a lot of us have already, we've, been, we've gotten the COVID testing and we're keeping, like one of the things that I do as well as my director, we're constantly checking in with the actors and coincidentally, the way the script and the story for season three, it's not sort of massive people in scenes together. So that helps. Of course, they're not six feet apart, but we are, we monitor, again, like I said, we were wiping things down and we were literally checking every checkpoint. So like after we finished on May 30th of filming, everyone sort of sequestered themselves back into their space because I was like, let's see what happens in the next two weeks just to make sure everybody's good. And, you know, follow back up. Everybody was like, oh, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. It's like, okay, you got your test results. Yeah, because we've had several actors get, go and get tested. It's like, oh, no here you go they, they'll you know share their results and i was like okay we're good so we'll just keep monitoring our actions to see how this thing evolves because like you said it, it's very new and every it seems like every other week something changes from you masks to this kind of mask or 
like Good Morning America was saying something, don't get the mask with the two ventilators or something in it. And you should, you know, we went from bandanas to all types of different things. So uh, we are definitely, we're optimistic, but we're cautiously optimistic moving forward. And again, at any point, and that's why I was very adamant about to the crew, I said that at any point, this gets, if there's like a resurgence in Georgia's numbers, and especially in Atlanta, and we start to see things go really left, we're, we're stopping because I said, it's not worth it. I was like, I want everybody to be healthy and alive and not sick to keep telling these stories. And if we have to push it out till 2021, then I'm okay with that too. But we're, like I say, we're cautiously optimistic that we'll be able to move forward using the practices that we're using right now. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a good way to think about it. How do you, how do you try to keep working while going around this? I mean, most, most studios are going with the, we're going to push back till 2021 or 2022. But I mean, I have seen stories of like, say the Mandalorian, they're going to uh, still, they're gonna still film their season two, and they have ways to work around. Because uh, apparently they got a green screen, so they could, I don't know, pretend to be next to each other. But I mean, you know, wh- whatever sort of way you have to you know, work around and still film and keep everybody safe, and that's great. Uh, now this being on YouTube and having to rely on monetization, th- there's. I mean, I, I haven't explored any of if, there, if YouTube updated with new ways to monetize. I don't know about it. The classic way I know is through ads and uh, uh, or like pretty much ads. I would say ads, unless there's something else. But do you feel like you need to put ads in your uh, episodes or like how do you even um, like when you progress? past 11,000 and working your way up to 50,000 or 100,000 uh, subscribers like do you have that sort of uh, long-term plan on how you plan to keep going with this eventually working this into your real full-time job yeah great question and it's actually starting to happen already um, I've actually partnered with two streaming services one being the own channel which scales season one and two is being licensed on that platform already it since April of this year which I'm generating funds for, for that and then next month scales is going to be premiering on reverie which is a global streaming service it's actually the second largest lgbtq plus streaming platform which allows up to i think it's available in about 200 million homes and there are already sponsorships that have been discussed regarding having them in place on my show on their network I mean on their platform so those two things are happening already which I'm very excited about and actually seasons one and two of scales that will kind of be the run for YouTube like season three will not be on YouTube because I I have an exclusive contract with Reverie for the series to be then only shown on Reverie and so what is the for those who wanted to get onto reverie like it does it cost a subscription and if so like how much yeah a reverie subscription um actually this 
the general they have a general subscription which is free that's without any commercials uh i'm sorry that's with a lot of the commercials and then the commercial free is about i think it's 6.99 a month and you know i think again reverie has they've rebranded their entire um, platform and it looks it looks and feels and moves very very much like a 24-hour cable streaming platform because you have live news happening then you have documentaries you have uh, podcasts you can sort of pick whatever niche you want in reverie and reverie has they've have partnerships with really large like laura lenny who's a mega superstar to me she's an actress and she's appeared in a couple of projects that's on reverie you also have Whoopi goldberg who's done some projects that's on reverie so for for me as this unknown person to have this deal with reverie now and that the show is going to be in moving onto that platform has a new home i'm excited to see what the i'm ex- I'm really excited to see what the future holds because reverie has definitely developed a huge following yeah i mean i've never heard of reverie but i mean knowing about a streaming uh service for uh lgbtq uh and that's actually that's awesome like i've got uh friends uh or lgbtq friends who would probably even love to know about that and uh, the fact that you can, there is an option to, you know, watch for free, given there are commercials. That's really interesting. I mean, speaking of celebrities, do you get any, you know, bigger, higher profile people like seeing your show? Or do you have people, any cameos from big stars possibly in the future? I will, I can't give any spoilers, but I will say that season three there will be um we're working the details of course COVID threw a wrench in some things around because scheduling about that conversation and relationship that we do have with a very well-known um celebrity is still ongoing and my intent is what we'll do we did retool the scene a little bit to make it i guess more uh COVID friendly so that it'll just be literally that person with two other characters and that's it. So season three will, it's 85% as of right now that we'll have that person, that well-known person that we've been in conversation with that will be seen in season three for sure. Okay. That, I mean, that's awesome. That would definitely get more eyes on your show. Uh, but do you have, I mean, you probably don't want to give away who that person is, I bet, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it, no, it's fine. It, it's big, though. It, it, it is big. It's, it's a, it's, I'm very fortunate that has, the opportunity is. Has Joel Schumacher watched this show? <laughs> oh, well, oh gosh, you know, I, that, that's funny because I, well, I'll have to sort of look up and see how old he is because, you know, he it's gotta be like maybe 80 something right maybe he's still alive i do know that i mean he hasn't really okay. as far as i'm aware he hasn't really made any films recently and i think but uh that that would be really interesting to see if anybody from a time to kill went in and saw skills that would i mean that'd be really cool probably for you considering that was how you started things it, it would be, and I would, I would love to, um, you know, if Samuel Jackson, Matthew McConaughey gave me a shout out or something like, or even said, hey, we'll, we'll make a Zoom call to you and appear in an episode. That would be 
the best. So, I mean, a, a guy can hope. Yeah, I mean, Matthew McConaughey, he was on something recently called a conversa- an un- Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. It's very powerful. Definitely, I, I recommend a lot of people, uh, you know, listening to that because it, it definitely gives a context of how you really... I mean, help people who may have had, have done some things that are racist or has done a racist past or pretty much, you know, they've they've not made the best choices, like help them change and improve. And I think that is great. And one of them is by educating, which is awesome because if I, I don't want to get into what I've been through today, but there are people who are like, no, if that guy did something racist, then they need, they need, they're done. Uh, and I'm like, well, why don't we, you know, talk to this person? And, and they're like, nope, nope, sorry. You, you said it, you said it, you're done. What, I mean, you as a black man, what do you even say about that? Do you, um, regarding, you know, uh, educating, you know, people who have, may have, done something that is is maybe that might be deemed offensive like you know yeah yeah i i think because i'm older i i'm not a part of i think one of the things that has happened is that we've become such a the the term they i think they call it cancel culture yes we cancel people out immediately like there's it's like damn you're done and i think it's unfortunate that we've become that cancel culture because again, I do believe that you should allow a person an opportunity to, to, to change, to grow, to learn. You know, I think a lot of things that people maybe not know, it's, it's raising that awareness. And if you can say, you know, I used to didn't like, um, I hated broccoli. I was like, Oh, I hate it, but I never tasted it. So I would be like, I'm not going to order. But once I, had some broccoli and it was seasoned well it's like oh okay like i mean it's raising your level of awareness and once you understand and i always tell people it's not your um it's not the intentions that matter it's what you do that counts and so we are i feel like society the whatever has put us in such a bubble to where you're not allowed any mistakes you can't make any like you can't even get a speeding ticket or you're done and I think we really sometimes need to take a step back and ask ourselves did we do or have we tried to come to the table and let's have a conversation about how do we work together versus just automatically canceling each other out because I don't feel like that's um I not in several cases I don't feel like that's always the best solution because what have you taught me you've only all you've done is you said oh you're done with me but what then that can actually build up some kind of resentment because I haven't what's the what's the lesson learned here so it's a it's a very gray sticky area but I do feel that overall we really have become this cancel culture to where people are not given second and third chances to kind of redeem themselves yeah that was something that i've i've not been a fan of but i'm i don't want to you know put this out there and publicly say the, these people but uh, just I'll, I'll say there's a situation where someone has shared some jokes that were you know very tasteless very offensive and you know everybody is like okay these people are gone do not allow them in these communities they they're pro-trump they're super racist 
And then I had private conversations with these people, and then it turns out, no, I don't really, that's not really the full story. And then they, they acknowledge what they did was wrong, and then, you know, I helped them, I gave them some advice of, you know, how, how do you react to these sort of things? And, you know, how, you know, a better way to look at situations from a black person's perspective or, you know, a gay person's perspective, what have you. And I, I've, having that conversation, it felt like I made more of an impact towards these movements than people who are saying, no, they need to be called out. They are done. Uh, they deserve maximum punishment. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think too. You know, the temperature. The ter- if you did a temperature check right now, it's so high. I almost think people right now, no one's listening. No one's really because e- right now, I think everybody's kind of like on ten. Everybody's angry, and of course, when you're angry, I'm not going to hear your point of view. You're not going to hear mine. There's no excuses. And things now we live in a culture now where everything is magnified. Your conversations, your messages, and again, you could say something to me today, but then three years from now or three months from now, there's a different point of view, different perspective. And you say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry about what happened, da, da, da. And I, like, I, I get it because we grow. Things, like I said, you said I like broccoli, now I like broccoli. But then it's conscious choices that you decide to make too. Now, if you make the conscious decision to where you're going to stand in your convictions and you decide you are going to be um, an offensive person or whatever, then that's your that's a choice that you're going to make and as a result of that choice then i too am going to make the decision to not have a relationship with you which then results in all the other things but i do feel like um you should be able to come to the table and have those conversations but i just think right now with a global pandemic that there's still no vaccine for everybody Mm -hmm. is just everybody is just up here with everything so yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, hopefully we get to that point where we we all kind of grow up as better people. But, you know, it's, it, I guess, one incremental step at a time uh, towards equality yeah. and just kindness. But uh, anyway, I mean, I'd, I've spent pretty much uh, 45 minutes talking to you and just really loving it about, uh, I mean, just even if it doesn't have to do with the show, just how are you even, how are you even making it and just how you're kind of building this audience because i see i read the comments as i'm watching the show and usually people say don't do that that is bad but i look at the comments <laughs> i mean I, they're not wrong but i look at the comments of your show and I, I really see all the love for it and i see exactly why it means so much to a lot of people and it's really great that you have just a normal um I don't know you say sitcom because that's saying that it's a comedy or anything and you would say more it's a drama right it's i i use a new form way of saying you know the platform now that they have dramedies dramedy, it's a little yeah. bit of drama a little bit of comedy so i call it a dramedy and season three is definitely season three is definitely a, a, a dramedy it's there's some definite drama for sure and a little splash of comedy for season three but it, it solidifies its place as a dramedy. Yeah, no, I, I've noticed that. It, I mean, it's not one of those shows where, you know, somebody enters the door and is like, hey, my name is Jeff. You know, he's what you know, those sitcoms where they're inside of a room uh, and they're open the door and you got the, get those uh, audience applause. It's not one of those shows, of course. But, I mean, that if that's something you want to make in the future, have a straightforward sitcom. 
I would yeah. like to do that. I, I feel like I'm more of a comedy writer anyway. I like writing funny stuff. I do, that is a soft spot for me, it's comedy. Okay, so is that what you're, I mean, I know you probably don't want to say much about because very early on you mentioned about your movie uh, plan or idea, feature-length film, and I'm sure you're too early on that to say much about it, but is that is that the direction you want to go for, you know, post scar or sc- post scales? Why am I saying scars? Post scales. <laughs> uh, um, I just ate, I, I, so I. I just wanna, <laughs> yeah. No, hey, it's it's totally fine. And for me, I just want to have a diverse portfolio. I, okay. I don't, you know, eventually, I don't want to just be the scales guy you know if scales can of course get a wider audience and get the eyes on it to see this form of storytelling i want to have other things available i want to show the really you know hilarious comedy things that i've written as well as being able to say hey i do have this drama script that i've written as well i want to be you know I don't know if you believe in astrology, but I'm a Gemini. In Gemini, you have the twins. So I always want to be able to give you a little bit of everything. So Yeah. I mean, no, I, I know about Gemini. I'm probably a nerd here because, uh, I mean, I my podcast is about entertainment. So it is about movies, but it's also about video games. So <laughs> there's a Nintendo 64 <laughs> game called Jeff, Jeff Wars Gemini. But no, I, no, I know what Gemini is. Uh, so... Um, Actually, that that I want to bring up to another thing. So you say season three is going to be on uh, the streaming platform instead of YouTube. So what would be what would happen in place of that? Are you still going to be doing YouTube, or are you just kind of going to jump off to uh, streaming services? I think the way it, it'll work is that with Reverie, they'll put together like marketing tools and then I'll put that marketing on the YouTube channel, which will kind of draw audiences hopefully over to Reverie to see the show. And I'm actually working with my uh, director on let's putting together maybe some um, after show sort of almost documentary style discussions about shooting season one and two and three with that footage and then having that sort of dedicated to the YouTube page will hopefully draw people over to, to Reverie. Because I know Reverie, Reverie has a YouTube sort of advertising channel, and I know it has like 100-some thousand um, views and 4,000 subscribers or something like that. I know that the way that we've been talking is that they'll kind of put together advertising promotionals for the show, and then I'll just share them on different things so that's kind of what the youtube channel will go to like you'll still be able to watch seasons one and two on youtube but it'll have a thing to direct you to check us out over at web free okay so i mean you got yourself a plan to keep youtube up because i'm saying like you got eleven thousand subscribers i would that would sting if like all your content just went to reverie and you had nothing on your channel but I think that's a great way to try to make those two things work together. And, you know, you never know if you have any idea that might be exclusive to YouTube. Because YouTube, they have their own streaming service, too. And they also have their partnership deals uh, going on. So, I mean, you never know when you get to that point that maybe you and YouTube could work something out. Because that would be really awesome. That would kind of say a lot, especially the type of... Or the type of stories that you're telling, that's, I mean, that, that's very uh, great in this time, too. I mean, anytime, but 
I, I mean, I uh, enjoy talking to you, man. I talk so much about the stuff that you make and what you do. Uh, what's, uh, so where do, where do people find or follow you and then follow your projects and all that? Sure. Um, you can follow me at, on Instagram as well as Twitter at I, I am Patrick Ladonis, all one word. You can also follow the series at scales, the web on Instagram. And of course, if you go to YouTube and type scales, the web series, you'll you'll see the show right there and subscribe and watch all you can actually watch seasons one and two in under two hours for those that are listening so oh wow that's awesome all right well and and you you on uh twitter and uh instagram and all that or is it just uh yes twitter and instagram um the handle is i am patrick ladonis for Instagram, and then on Twitter, it's Patrick Ladonis, same thing, except the I am is not on there. And then for the show, you can go on to Instagram and type up Scales the Web, and then that's the that's the show's um, Instagram page. And it's the same on Twitter, Scales the Web. Okay. So I guess that will lead me to one thing. What would you say to uh, up-and-coming black creatives out there, especially where we're seeing a rising support in them? Uh, you know, how do you encourage people to, I mean, who maybe, I mean, maybe the, the times that we're in are definitely things that are, uh, un, I mean, terrible, but how do you kind of uh, encourage them, hey, you want lift that spirit and you got, you got the thing you've been working on, go do it. Yeah, I, and, and Chase, I think you, that's pretty much the advice that I would give them is, you you know, use your voice and t- tell a story. I, I'd say you tell a story that is something close to you that you can actually write from a, own personal experiences. It helps a little bit, too, with the story you're trying to tell, which I know that that's what I did with Scales. But I would tell them, don't give up. And, you know, season one was a passion project for me. I was not going to let anything stop me from making it. So I just would tell that young up and coming person to be um, be resilient and don't take, don't let the no, you'll get a million no's, but that one, all you need is one yes, but find a way to carve out your own path, create your own path. For me, you know, I always, I'll end it with this note. Robert Frost has a poem called The Road Not Taken. And the last uh, line of that poem says I chose the path less traveled by and it made all the difference I always saw that as he could have went down the path that everyone had went down but he chose the other one and it made a complete difference and I would say that to other upcoming creatives black white or whatever it's a it's your destiny you choose your own path but just make sure that whatever it is you want to do do it authentically and do it with the same resilience and determination you do with anything else make sure you commit 100% to it. That was, that was great to hear. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of Scales because again, I, I enjoyed it. The, probably the, where I last I left off before uh, finishing it, it was uh, when your character was talk, or, uh, at your house and you wanted a phone call with uh, one of your love interests. He was uh, standing out by behind a, a glass window and it was kind of... With the pool, yeah. Yeah. So three, Ron, he's coming over for pizza. 
I mean, yeah. for Chinese, I think. Yeah, it was it was for pizza. You were kind of discussing, you know, what do you want to eat? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm yeah. I like what you're doing, and I I'm sharing. I've got, uh, you know, I got black friends, and I got uh, or friends of LGBT or LGBT. Dang it, uh, of you know of you know of you know rainbow uh background and they will love the heck out of the show this is something i mean you probably already know that you create something great for people but this this show right here is something that a lot of people need uh and it's i mean as much as you would say oh you know what it's just a show about love drama but i mean there are there's just two small aspects to that that will make just that they could see themselves or at least someone that is kind of like them on on screen that's uh very powerful yeah thank you i appreciate that anyway yeah you're you're welcome but now it's time to hit the hay so uh, thank you so much for coming on and again apologies for things being slow my computer is a big butt face so i i (laughs) yeah I, it happens sometimes, but uh, hey, we were able to. Does this go live today, or when does this go live? Uh, it goes live as soon as I upload it, so that will be right after this oh, call. So, anyway, oh, thank awesome. you so much, and I will talk to you again <laughs> right, thank later. You so much.